I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norton. I'm joined by Owen Hughes and Carol Hello. Petz. Hello. Not James Diamond, uh, as he's busy doing grown-up stuff. <laughs> Being really boring and doing grown-up stuff. Uh, and probably apologies for not having a podcast for the last fortnight or so. Don't really know what happened there. There is one that didn't get released. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, so we do only apologise. Uh, it did have uh, me review uh, winning the quiz and Owen and James reviewing uh, the Man from Earth that I recommended to them. They both liked it to an extent, um, but there's not really much point going back over old ground, I suppose. Well, yeah, you say this, but I mean, no one has a. I, I don't know whether this <laughs> is true. I was there, but I don't remember it. <laughs> Unless it turns up in a boot sale uh, 25 years from now on on tape or like, I don't know, mini disc. going to turn up on like a, an English version of Storage Hunters. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said before, I hope James just keeps them all so we can like release a, an audio CD with all of our podcasts on, plus extras. You know, it's a special feature, the ones that were lost to the ages. Yeah. The podcasts that never got released. I can't... Be a it could special be special edition. Uh, I can't even remember what else we reviewed on it, to be honest. Um, James? We did our favourite films over 175 minutes. Sounds like a classic, doesn't it? It, it was. Uh, and, <laughs> and James disappeared halfway through the podcast. So, But apologies for, for it not being released and you not having listening to us for two weeks. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norton. I'm joined by Owen Hughes and Carol Petz. Hello. Not James Diamond, uh, as he's busy doing grown-up stuff. <laughs> Being really boring and doing grown-up stuff. Uh, and probably apologies for not having a podcast for the last fortnight or so. Don't really know what happened there. There is one that didn't get released. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, so we do only apologise. Uh, it did have uh, me review, uh, winning the quiz and Owen and James reviewing uh, The Man from Earth that I recommended to them. They both liked it to an extent, um, but there's not really much point going back over old ground, I suppose. 
Well, yeah, you say this, but I mean, no one has a... I, I don't know whether this <laughs> is true. I was there, but I don't remember it. <laughs> Unless it turns up in a boot sale uh, 25 years from now on on tape or like, I don't know, mini disc. It's going to turn up on like a, an English version of Storage Hunters. Yeah. Well, I, like I said before, I hope James just keeps them all so we can like release a, an audio CD with all of our podcasts on, plus extras. You know, it's a special feature, the ones that were lost to the ages. Yeah. The podcast that never got released. I can't... Yes, it could be special one. edition. I can't even remember what else we reviewed on it, to be honest. <laughs> James? We did our favourite films over 175 uh, minutes. Sounds like a classic, doesn't it? It, it was. Uh, and, <laughs> and James disappeared halfway through the podcast. So, But apologies for, for it not being released and you not having listening to us for two weeks. Um, no quiz this week either because James isn't here. Um, so that'd be a bit unfair to have a crack at that without him. We have got a bit of news though, haven't we, Carol? Yes, I I went to <laughs> I went to um, a preview last night, uh, not of the whole film, uh, but of seventeen minutes of Guardians of the Galaxy uh, at the Empire in Leicester Square. Seventeen consecutive minutes, or was it like seventeen minutes from all over the place? No, it was it was a bit of both. So it was a scene, and that must have been about I don't know, uh, like. I don't know, actually. I think it was just over 10 minutes long. And then you basically got an extended trailer, so you got bits from all over the place. Um, but I don't really want to ruin it for anyone. I mean, it wasn't particularly spoilerific, the bit that they chose. It has been in, in the trailers, like the beginning of the scene has been in the trailers. Um, but it looks really, really good. And I was very, very happy with how... Uh, things seem to have turned out. Obviously, it's less than 20 minutes of footage, so I can't really draw a conclusion about the whole film. But um, I think, hopefully, everyone will be really pleased with how it turns out. Uh, but just like a special mention for um, the whoever's rendered Groot and Rocky, uh, Rocket Raccoon, they look amazing. They look absolutely incredible, like seamless. Um, so, yeah, it looks it looks good, and I'm excited. Did you get much of an idea of the tone of the film uh, from what you saw? It's, yeah, it's kind of like, if you've ever seen um, Super by James Gunn, I don't know whether either of you guys have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind of like that dark humour, but obviously they've had to, he's had to tone it down a significant amount. Um, but there, there is quite a lot of kind of... Uh, in, like it, kind of intelligent slapstick type stuff, really, um, and a lot of kind of sparking people sparking off each other as well, or animals sparking off people, as as most of it was. <laughs> um, so yeah, it does it does seem quite smart. It does seem like they're going for the this is ridiculous angle, and and we fully are aware of the fact that this is ridiculous. So we're just going to have as much fun with it as possible. But um, just like keeps the kind of general smart artery of the, of the comics, I think, which is something that I was not nervous he was going to mess up, because I do like James Gunn, I'm a big fan, but something that I thought maybe wasn't going to get through the the Marvel process, uh, but mm. it seems to have done very, they seem to have done very well. Yeah, it, could, it can be difficult to get the humour of comics across into the films, especially ones where you've got, you know, Rocket Raccoon, which is obviously Rocky Raccoon. It's a Beatles song that's been turned into this 
space creature shooting lasers raccoon thing and and a tree that just says his name over and over again you know it can be very difficult to get that translated across but from the I haven't seen this preview obviously but I've seen like trailers and stuff. it looks like the tone is it looks like it's got it from what I saw yeah I, like, I think it yeah. definitely has um and uh yeah I, I think they've just got especially yeah I, I did actually call him Rocky just now didn't I um <laughs> <laughs> especially yeah Rocket I think they've got him from from what from what I saw, I think they've got him spot on. And I was really amazed. Bradley Cooper sounds nothing like Bradley Cooper. He actually sounds like um, a raccoon, like a, a, a talking <laughs> raccoon. Um, he actually sounds like a. I, I think the the comparison I would probably make is like a, a New York taxi driver. He's got that proper <laughs> proper like New Yorker accent down and okay. I actually had to remind myself that it was Bradley Cooper talking didn't have to remind myself it was Vin Diesel talking at all uh, but um, yeah it, lo- it looks good. good pretty excited just about on it. a complete tangent and I'll talk about it a little bit later anyway but I went to see Transformers this week and Mark Wahlberg with his thick um, Boston accent uh-huh. oh is it Boston or Brooklyn it's, it's wherever Boston. it is he's... he is from yeah, yeah. Boston He's got this thick Boston accent. He plays a Texan with a Boston accent. Nice. It's just completely, yeah, <laughs> completely unbelievable. I'm not even American, and I can tell he's just Con- not from Texas. Sean Connery never tried an accent in his life, did he? So I mean, and he and he was <laughs> he's a very good actor. So why should Marky Mark be anything different? Yeah. Exactly. I just think like, even was... in Highlander, he was uh, was he an Egyptian with a Spanish name in Scotland? Yeah. Let's yeah. let's not forget King Richard of England in in Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> True. But uh, th- who else? What, what was I going to say? Yeah, but people just I don't know. I, I think probably people care a lot less about accents. Oh, uh, Hannibal. That's what I was going to talk about. Uh, Hannibal, obviously at the moment, not film, obviously, but it's on TV, and we we're mm-hmm. used to him being played as an American. I think he is an American, isn't he? Um, I haven't seen any of the actual lecture films for ages, but he's being played by Mads Mikkelsen, who's not doing an accent at all. He's just doing his Danish accent, mm. and you know, no one, no one really cares. I think it works because his name is Hannibal Lecter, which isn't really like a typical American name anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's brilliant in that though, Mads Mikkelsen. He is. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else playing the role now. I know you've got like Anthony Hopkins and so on, but. Blimey, he's just nailed it. He's he's been fantastic. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's all for the for the news uh, for this week, or any newsworthy news. Anyway, uh, up after this break is what we've been watching. So what we've been watching then, when we take a look at the films we've seen in the last, um, well, fortnight since the last podcast. Um, Oh, why don't you start us off? Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll let you two choose. I've got two things prepared, but I don't know which to talk about. I can either do a review of Filth, which is the film with James McAvoy in it, which I just absolutely loved. But James has already talked about that one. Or I can do like a, a compendium of of different horror films that I've watched over the last four years. You know what? Do them both, because I'm not really going to be talking about much, because I haven't really seen much. So just <laughs> do, do them both. Just do yeah. both. Yeah. Alright, I'll take up 20 minutes yeah, of the podcast because I'll just basically own. say, I've, I've been away, and when I've not been away, I've been working loads. Uh, so I've seen The Godfather, 
I don't really think anybody really wants me to talk about one of the greatest films of all time. I would say it's brilliant. And um, oh, but what what would you improve on it then, Steve? What would you change about the Godfather? Um, I don't know, but there's one thing I did really like. Um, not a lot of people notice this, but it's the camera angles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> Yeah, Carol, Carol got the joke this time because last time she didn't, um, which, which we're going to have to edit in somewhere along the line. You totally ruined the mystique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I could improve it really. No, no, you wouldn't set it at Christmas, make Al Pacino barefoot all the way through. No. Put a massive like uh, cuddly toy in it somewhere. No, she's got a horse's <laughs> horse's head. That's near enough a cuddly toy. Um, and yeah I saw Shutter as well which is an awful horror film with the fat one from Dawson's Creek in it Um, Hmm. which one's the fat one? it's not James Van Der Beek it's the one who was in Fringe oh um, Joshua Jackson he's not fat he is a bit chubby in the face (laughs) (laughs) bit bit of a chubby face especially in Fringe um but yeah, Shutter's rubbish. It's a remake, isn't it? It's, I think it's Japanese. Well, yeah, film. but this is this is set in Japan. So what, even even more like pointless Hollywood remake. Most Hollywood remake of Japanese horrors, they at least set it in America. This one's set in Japan. Even one less thing to take away from. The, anyway, it's pointless. Don't bother watching it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did. I was made to. It wasn't my choice. Um, yeah, so Owen, talk about the, all the things you're talking about. Okay, well, feel free to interrupt either of you, because otherwise it's just going to be about 15 minutes of me solidly talking. So, uh, yes, okay, well, I'll get filth out of the way first, uh, and I'll try to keep it brief, because James has reviewed this last year when it came out. Um, And I was really kind of gutted when it came out, because it it seemingly didn't get shown anywhere near me. Um, All my local cinemas passed on the opportunity to show it. So I kind of had to wait until... um, until recently when I got an offer through email from Blinkbox and it said basically I can have 50% off any film if I buy it on, on their website. And Filth just kind of leapt out at me. Um, to give a description of it, it's essentially a Scottish bad lieutenant. Um, uh, I mean, I'm sure Carol's aware of bad lieutenant, particularly the uh, Nicolas Cage remake. Oh, I love that film. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Um but this is by John S. Baird, and it's um, essentially playing James McAvoy plays um, plays a cop, uh, a detective who's trying to get promotion, uh, but he's also uh, a junkie who drinks a lot. Um, and then, as the film kind of progresses, he starts hallucinating weird things. Um, and yeah, basically, it, it's just a really good film. Um, however, I know a few people were kind of disappointed by it, and I can understand why. Um, it's a very, very black comedy. Um, and it's an adaptation of Irving Welsh's novel. So if you, you know, people don't generally like Irving Welsh or his writing, you probably aren't going to get anything out of this film. Um, it's as far from a conventional style of storytelling on film as you can possibly get. Um, however, you know, I, just because I understand why people might not like it, Part of that is the reason I do like it. This unconventional style is, is something I, I really enjoyed in it. It's, it's so different, so original. Um, there's n- other than it being about a, a cop going insane and being comparable to Bad Lieutenant in that way, it's just quite different from, from most of the films I've seen. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, James McAvoy's probably given a career best performance in this, and I'm just going to echo what James said, uh, when he, when he said that he was gutted that James McAvoy missed out on any, like, Oscar nominations, um, because it's unbelievable. He is just absolutely fantastic in this. Um, his character's name's Detective Bruce Robertson, uh, and he is very ambitious, and he does everything possible to try and achieve this promotion. Um, even though he's just this really disturbed, drug and drink ad- adult guy. Um, you know, he steals from friends, he mocks homeless people, uh, he sleeps with the wives of his fellow colleagues, and, you know, he takes children's balloons off them, for fuck's sake. So he's, you know, he's quite a nasty bastard. Um, but yeah, th- through the sheer magnitude of McAvoy's portrayal of, of this desperate, lonely man who's coming apart at the seams, you just support him because cause he has nobody else, just... The viewer who he, he breaks the fourth wall to address occasionally, you know, you're, you become his only friend as the viewer and you're the only non-judgmental friend he's got and you're, you're privy to the, these innermost fears that, that he possesses and you see all these things he's hallucinating and the effect that it's having on him. Um, and also at the same time, you then become this person who, who he can be honest with when he's talking to you through the camera, he's, sort of explaining himself in a way that he doesn't to anybody else and he doesn't make any other human connections apart from um with his friend who's played by Eddie Marson who he bullies basically through the whole film he bullies him but he becomes his only fr- his only real friend um but Eddie Marson's great as well and he's got uh, the, the film's got a great cast you've got Jim Broadbent in it who's always always great Imogen Poots um who I really liked in the look of love and seems to be um, on the rise at the minute, getting a lot of good films. Uh, John Sessions, who I've never really seen in a film. I've only seen him on, like, uh, things like QI or when he's been interviewed. And, you know, then you've got other, other good people in there. Jamie Bell's p- uh, pretty good as well. Um, but, I mean, the, the characters are kind of peripheral in the wider context of the film, which is about, because uh, the story is about him trying to find a murderer, actually. Um, as well as trying to, trying to get this promotion. And the characters just kind of teeter on the edge of of these things that happen to him um, as his promotion's kind of slipping away from him uh, and his, his mental health deteriorates. But um, they're still really good. They're really good performances. And without them, you know, without the level of performance, uh, it wouldn't have been as good a film. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was good to miss out on the film last year. Um, and if I had seen it, it probably would have made my top ten for my end of year list. Um, but yeah, no, it's brilliant. And I, I ended up actually, I watched it on whatever day it was. It was like a Tuesday, I think. And then I ended up on the Thursday watching it again because I just really enjoyed it that much. And I, I just, uh, yeah, James McAvoy is just fantastic in it. And it's a great film. Okay. And a quick roundup of the horror films you've seen. Yeah, I watched a, a few that um, I've been really looking forward to. Uh, I watched a film called You're Next. Um, which I think James also saw. Did you see that one as well? Yeah, that's kind of the um, yeah the home invasion one. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really I, good. I, I like. I think um, me and James have the same opinion. We liked it. It was a good idea until, without spoiling it for people who still haven't seen it, or it's been out for a while now. The, until the twist was revealed, and then it kind of went downhill a bit. I thought. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd say downhill, but there, there's definitely like a. Complete tonal change. Yeah, until until um, once once you once a twist is revealed, it loses a bit of its 
tenseness, which isn't a word, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, but I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, it, it is a very tense film, as most home invasion films are, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of Hanukkah's uh, Funny Games, if that was played as a straight film. Because um, you've just got this family being attacked in their own home by people. You don't know why they're attacking them. Um, why are they wearing these weird, like, animal masks? I think on the poster you've got the guy with, uh, like, a wolf mask on. And you just don't understand why yeah. or what's happening. Or, uh, But, yeah, and then, as you sort of said, the, about three quarters of the way film, I think. Maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe two thirds. There's just a change. The twist is revealed. And it becomes more of like an action yeah. horror, whereas previously it was a very tense. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a bad um, twist, but they, if they had done it later on in the film, right towards the end, it would have kept the kind of suspense a lot better, and probably kept the. I, yeah, maybe, but I mean, I, I kind of appreciated that they they didn't because it's not a fantastic. No, twist. it's not. It's not. You know, it's, it's not. Quite, um, it, once it's revealed, it's just like, oh right, well that pretty kind of exactly so then so once it's revealed they can just carry yeah. on with with getting to the end of the film basically um and it does have a really good ending i did quite like the ending um but yeah uh i mean i've seen the only things i've seen by the directors adam lingard and well simon barrett wrote it as well i think and adam lingard they worked together before on vhs vhs2 yeah. um and they're two short films in those um anthology films I didn't particularly enjoy. I think that they did one in ABCs of Death as well, which was quite meta, which was Q is for Quack. Um and that was interesting and it showed potential. So I'm kind of glad they, they kind of ended up realising their potential almost with your next because it's a really good yeah. film actually. It's really good. Um but also uh, making a cameo in your next is uh, a director I really like called Ty West, and he's one of these indie horror filmmakers who people either really like or they don't like at all. So, did you see Innkeepers as well, Steve? Um, the Innkeepers. I want to, but I haven't yet, and I don't know why. I don't think you I've been able to find it yeah. anywhere on Netflix or anything. No, I think House of the Devil's more more common. That's his um, his his first major film that he was happy to call his film. I think he did one of the Wrong Turn sequels, or uh, might not have been Wrong Turn. What's the one? With, uh, Cabin Fever. I think he did Cabin Fever 2 or 3, and they butchered it, basically. So his name is on it as the director, but he's disowned it. Um, but House of the Devil's fantastic film. Very, very atmospheric. Um, and even though it's about just a girl babysitting in a house, uh, and House of the Devil, you know, etc., um, it's, it's brilliant, and it's so different, um, I think. Uh, the, the innkeepers is similar with not a lot happening in it. It's mainly about the two people and all this atmosphere building. It's not as good as House of the Devil. So this, this film that I'm going to talk about now is The Sacrament, which came out last year. Um, it's a, it's kind of, it's his take on like the Jonestown massacre. So there's a cult. Yeah. Um, and they've got this guy who's the father of this parish who's uh, played by um, a guy called Gene Jones, who's just unbelievably charismatic in this. And it part of his charisma is great casting, actually, because you get to see why so many people are suckered in by these, these cult leaders. Um, but again, it's another film um, by Ty West, which is slow. 
Um, you have these characters. It's basically his film footage take. Um, you have these documentary makers. I think they're actually they're, they're from a media outlet who expose the truth behind different things. And they join this American guy um, out into this country that's not named, but I think it might be somewhere in Africa. Um, it's not named, but it's a remote location where this guy's sister is. And she's saying that this, this place she lives now is, she's never been happier. Um, she, she was an alcoholic, uh, or, or a drug, um, someone addicted to drugs, I can't remember. And now she's sober and it's all because of, of this parish that's changed her life. So she's going out, uh, she's invited her brother out to go and, go and see her there. He brings along this media outlet. Um, and it's very bleak. It's, it's very harrowing as well. Um, as you might expect, with bits and bobs taken from from the real Jonestown massacre, um, and it kind of leaves a, a bad taste in the back of your throat as you watch it because because of what it what it's portraying, um, and it's it's basically him looking into the darker side of humanity, what can what people can do to each other, and the reasons they try to justify that with. So it's a very dark film, but it is very atmospheric, um, and yeah, I just. It's one of these films that I want to say I enjoyed, but enjoyed isn't the right word, if you know what I mean. But The Sacrament was was very good. Um, but after watching The Sacrament, I watched another film, uh, which I'd been looking forward to, which was re- released last year, which has got a quite a, a, a shit name, actually. Uh, it's called Jugface. <laughs> so, have either of you seen Jugface? No. Or no. heard of Jugface? <laughs> no. It sounds like a really camp, shitty... Um, horror comedy, but it's not a, a comedy at all. Nothing about it is comedy uh, or, or funny. Um, it's um, It follows uh, an incestuous young woman in a backwards hick community that worship a healing pit in the ground. That's the story. Um, every so often they have to sacrifice one of their community to the pit to keep the pit's ghost from coming up and killing Make, folk. Makes sense so far. Um, Obviously, yeah, of course. Um, the next person chosen to be sacrificed to the pit, um, which is chosen by this lower-than-your-average IQ hick character um, who gets possessed by the spirit, and he bakes a clay jug, and the chosen one's face is on the jug, hence the film's title, Jug Face. Um, but the person who's chosen is our protagonist, and she um, finds the jug with her face on it, so she knows that she's been selected for sacrifice, but she chooses to hide the jug face before anyone sees it so she can protect her unborn child who she, whose dad is her brother. Um, so yeah, so as a result of her, uh, her actions, there are consequences which are delivered by this angry pit monster. I mean, I'd read that actually it's kind of a unique horror film um, and it's not what you should expect at all um, because it has this really um, silly concept, I suppose. It's a very silly concept. But it's played in a very straight way. And it does itself um, justice with that. Because if it did play it too silly, it would just be pointless. But it plays it very straight, which I did kind of like. However, the film I did find overall slightly underwhelming, if I'm honest. Um, it's not really a straight horror film. It's it, What it reminded me of was um, Devil's Backbone. You know, the uh, Guillermo del Toro film. Um, but not, obviously not Spanish, it's, it's American. Um, which is, it's got ghosts and ghouls in it, but they're not really 
ghosts and ghouls, you know. Um, that there's a lot of disturbing imagery in it as well. Um, there's, there's, there's concepts about what a community is, what sacrifice is. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It did underwhelm me slightly. Um, but Lauren Ashley Carter was probably the best thing about the whole film, um, playing the lead character, Ada. Um, she's just, um, the only reason you'd care about what happens to her is because of her performance, really. Um, and the same can't really be said for most of the supporting cast, I'm afraid. Uh, seriously, Sean Young, um, she play, she's Rachel from Blade Runner, if you remember that, and Lois in Ace Ventura as well. She plays, um, a character in this, uh, who's Ada's mother. She's just utterly appalling. I've never seen such a bad performance from an established actor in, in a horror film like this. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't think I'd watch that again, but I mean, I'm kind of glad that I watched it anyway. I, I was quite okay. looking forward to it. And the final film that I'm going to talk about, just the last one, because I, I know I am rabbiting on a bit now, um, was recommended to us by, um, Shorky on, on Twitter, uh, at Shorky1969, who has recommended loads of things to us as well. And he's got an article on the website at the moment about Fright Fest, which is well worth reading. Very interesting, um, and insightful about what's going on there. So The Borderlands, is a film he recommended to to me. Um, it's a British found footage film, and I do like found footage films anyway. Um, but it's kind of more like a compilation footage horror film. Um, it's about a team from the Vatican who come over to to England to investigate a supposed miracle that's occurred in a church where the, the priest in this rural church he claims to have seen the physical manifestation of Jesus. Um, so you get Robin Hill, who was in Down Terrace and Kill List, the Ben Wheatley films. Uh, who's a tech guy who's hired by the, the Vatican to catch everything supernatural on camera um, with with these two guys from the Vatican. It's brilliant. Really enjoyed it. It's probably the, the best of the horror films that I that I watched over the la- the past couple of weeks. Um, it, it's not particularly original. Um, it's just about this creepy church and the creepy guy who 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 is the priest of this church and this small community in the southwest of England. Um, but it's a back to basics film, and what everything it does, it does brilliantly. It's um, got an intimidating atmosphere. It, it's very funny at times as well. It can be. Very, I mean, I like Robin Hill anyway, and he's genuinely um, entertaining in this. And it is very spooky. There's. It starts off a bit jokey with a bit of banter at the start between Robin Hill and um, a guy called Gordon Kennedy. And it's genuinely amusing. Um, but then it gets darker and darker and then as the mystery of whether or not a real miracle occurred kind of slowly unravels. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. The, the last ten minutes of this film, absolutely brutal. Um, it's got one of the best endings of the genre, for, for the genre that I've seen for ages. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else the director Elliot Goldner uh, can do next because because this is this is great. If you're going to watch any of the ones I've talked about, um, other than Filth, because Filth is brilliant, Borderlands, it's fantastic. Okay, uh, Carol, what have you seen? Um, a lot of the World Cup. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think I've only I've only seen a new release uh, this week, so I'll be talking about that in a, in a little bit. I think. Okay, well, we'll end what we've been watching there then, and up next we'll have <laughs> new release uh, reviews of Transformers, uh, The Age of Extinction, and is it the 100-year-old man who climbed out a window and went on a walk? Almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Time for them to review our new releases um, for the last week. Uh, we're going to start off with Carol. The title of this one is. As I read it from the Amazon uh, page of the book in front of me, it is the 100-year-old man who climbed out of the window and disappeared. Carol, had you read the book prior to seeing the film? Yes, I read the book last I, year. I tried reading the book, and I liked it, and I liked the concept, but I just found, I gave up on it, because I just found it rambled on and on and on, and it seemed to drag on for ages. It did, it does get very samey, if... Basically, I'll, I'll give you kind of a synopsis, because um, obviously the film is pretty much the same as the book. Uh, it is about a 100-year-old man who, on his 100th birthday, is in a nursing home and just suddenly thinks, you know, because he's in a nursing home and just goes, fuck this, and just literally climbs out the window and, and runs away as fast as a 100-year-old man can go. Um, it does, I think... you. I think I know what probably annoyed you, and it was going backwards and forwards. No, it wasn't that. It, between... it, wasn't, it no? wasn't that. I quite liked um, going back in time to his, you know, what he'd done in his life before, obviously, the adventures of, of the current day that he was going on. But I just found it was it just dragged, and it was just like it became a real slog to read it so much that I gave up on it. But the trailer made it look, the film look really fun. I actually had no idea this was becoming a film until about two weeks ago, and I saw the poster on the tube, and I thought it was for the book. And then when I was actually <laughs> on the uh, on the platform a bit later, I noticed it was a film. I had no idea. I didn't see a trailer for it or anything. So, uh, but yeah, I had read the book and I had I had quite enjoyed it. Um, I do know what you mean. It does it does get a bit samey, kind of probably about two thirds of the way through. Um, but you know, it was it was pleasant enough. It's not it's not particularly long. There just there seemed to be a um, a spate of these books coming out of Sweden in the last few years. There's one about a woman as well who ends up robbing a bank. The hundred uh, year old woman who climbed out the window and disappeared. <laughs> no, I think it's just a little old lady. They, you should never ask a lady her age. So you know, putting it on the book would be tantamount to <laughs> to heresy, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, so it is about hundred year old man, etc. And and as he goes along, um, he sort of runs away from this nursing home and gets into all sorts of scrapes, which, frankly, I'd be a bit concerned about a 100-year-old man getting into, to be perfectly honest. But along the way, he recounts um, what's happened to him during his life. So it's a bit... I've seen a lot of people say, saying it's like Forrest Gump, and I sort of do have to agree with that a little bit. He goes through his life. He was on both sides of the Spanish Civil War accidentally. Accidentally was involved in the making of the atom bomb, etc. And, you know... It, it's obviously a bit fantastical and, and everything. Um, I didn't think it was... Because I, I did start to find the book a bit kind of tedious, getting towards the two-thirds mark. But the good thing about the film is, obviously, it's not long enough to really get that tedious. It's under two hours. Um, so, yeah, I actually quite I quite liked it because they just took the episodes from the book that were really interesting and kept them. There was, there was a lot of stuff they've obviously had to cut out. I remember there being a bit in Korea in the... In the um, film in the book, sorry, and they they've taken that completely out of the film, so they just have kind of like the you know a few bits and pieces that have happened to him rather than everything, um, because that's what I actually found quite dull going through the book was just oh yeah, and then I did this, and then I got involved in this war, and uh, you know it just kind of went on and on, but um, yeah, it's 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 pleasant enough. It's um it's quite a diverse. It's it's a decent kind of Sunday afternoon film, I think. Um, you know, really diverse in a couple of hours. Um, 
the characters are all quite likable. Some of them are actually more likable in the film than the, than the book, I think. Uh, and it and it's got an elephant in it, so you know, <laughs> brilliant. What more can you want? It it is a bit fantastical and it is a bit far fetched, but you know, it, it's it's harmless enough. To be honest, it's uh, it, it's not amazing. It's not going to win any awards, but it's it's pretty fun. And uh, recommended if you've got a spare Sunday afternoon, I think. Okay. Uh, on to the film that we've we've been waiting for since the third instalment came out, <laughs> which is Transformers with a four instead of one of the letters. Because uh, it's four. And it trans, it's Transformers. <laughs> it's that, that's why that's happened. It's the Age of Extinction as well, <laughs> is the other part of the title. Owen has seen this for us, and is going to tell us all about... The first Transformers film with no shy of the beef. Thank God. Um, did did he explain yeah, uh, him uh, not being in it? He's just not involved in the story. It's happening somewhere else. Right. Fine. Yeah, he's just not there. He's not there. It's not explained as, no, this is happening without the Witwickies. Um It's just that some other family are now involved. Uh, but before I actually go on to talk about um, Age of Extinction... I think it's worth us just having a quick discussion about Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> because if you count that, was it $500 million that um, Transformers Age of Extinction has, has made, he is now technically um, the most successful director after Spielberg, I think. He can't Possibly be. even ahead of James Cameron. He can't be, he can't be before James Cameron, surely. Mm, I don't know. Apparently, that's, the, that's what I read this week. That's disgusting. Um, yeah, I've seen nine of his films, and I think he's only made 11, uh, and I don't know why, but I guess if he is the most successful, or one of the most successful directors, that shouldn't be as surprising or concerning to me as it is, but there you go. I have seen um, all his films except this latest Transformers one and Pain and Gain. Oh, well, Pain and Gain's his best one, I think. I know what you're going to say is his Bad best Boys. One. Well, actually, no, it's The yeah, Rock. You'd be, you'd be correct. It's actually The Rock, actually, is his best one. I would say Pain and Gain, then The Rock, then Bad Boys, then Armageddon, probably. Yeah. And The Island is half of a decent film as well. But Transformers, I think we can all agree, are not very good movies. No. At all. They're not really the They're highlight not. of his oeuvre, are they? Incidentally, I, I actually thought until about a month ago that he directed Con Air as well. I didn't realise it was someone else completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Simon West, I think. Yeah. It, he did Expendables too, which is a great But role. there's a lot of, well, okay. But there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> kind of tropes from Bay films in that, in that film, definitely. There's a lot of kind of screeching hmm. 80s, 90s guitar and a lot of sunset. <laughs> and a lot of stuff blowing yeah. up. And a lot of stuff blowing up, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what do what? So, what is our general opinion of Michael Bay? Overrated, underrated, uh, rated about as chronic right as decline <laughs> and ruining decline. my childhood, one film at a time. <laughs> yeah, see, that's interesting because that's what everyone says because he, he has ruined if they, if they, I mean, he's doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which might be crap as well. If that is crap, all I need to do is give him the animals of farthing wood and ruin that for me, and I'll just really hate him. <laughs> yeah, he'll be on to Homeward Bound next, I'll, and then you'll really just I'll, blow yeah. a gasket. Um, but, I mean, he, make, <laughs> he makes a certain type of film, and he makes it well. 
generally. Sometimes. He makes it successfully, yeah, yeah. I think. Are, are we seriously um, saying, by the way, that all Transformers films are worse than Pearl Harbor? Is that what we're saying? Uh, they're probably... Yeah. Well, I'm not I'd, I'd say Harbor. the Transformers films are more hysterically accurate than Pearl Harbor. <laughs> uh, I never watched Pearl Harbor. I can't bring myself to watch the only, that. The only good bit is Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, who is actually okay. quite good. Everything else is wank. Anyway, anyway let's talk, yeah, about, let's talk about Transformers <laughs> and stuff. Yes, okay. Well, I saw the first Transformers film um, when it came out because I was. See, really I didn't mind the first it. one. No, the first one was alright. Well, I've rewatched that yesterday, um, and I watched Age of Extinction last week or the weekend. So there's, um, it, 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 I, it was better than I remembered it, but it's still not a very good film. The first Transformers, I just don't like the characters in it. The only thing he gets right is some of the action scenes, which I remember being worse than they are because I can remember them being just completely indecipherable. Yeah. And you can't really make out anything that happens. But that was slightly harsh. The only bits that are indecipherable um, are when you get like Megatron and Optimus Prime fighting each other. And Optimus Prime at the time is a bit scuffed up and he's just a bit grey looking. And um, they're just two big grey metal things crashing into each other. And it's, you just can't make out what's happening. But the rest of the action scenes are okay. The bit with the military where you've got the, like, the, the uh, helicopter guy landing at the start, that was quite good. John John um, Turturro is quite yeah. good in it because he clearly just knows uh, it's all a load of crap. Yeah, he. No, I can't. I didn't like. Him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I didn't like anybody in it. <laughs> um, but the second one, Revenge of the Fallen, is genuinely one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's nothing but, but porn for Michael Bay, really. <laughs> Nothing but him to wank himself to death over, thinking, look at this fantastic film I've made, which is just explosion, then explosion, then explosion, then military, then explosion, then military, then explosion, and then we stop it in the middle and we'll have a robot tell us what the beginning of the film was meant to be, what the middle is supposed to be, and what the end's going to be. And then more explosions and more fighting. Uh, it's terrible. Absolutely horrendous. You, you forgot the uh, part where they explain the robot's bodily functions. <laughs> I, I just, I've tried to just wipe the whole thing from memory. It's such a bad um, film, I haven't even bothered seeing the third. I couldn't bring myself to, I still haven't seen it, I still haven't seen Dark of the Moon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I watched the third, considering how much I hated Revenge of the Fallen. Um, and then I made James and Steve watch it when I won a quiz. And they were equally Ooh. as uh, frustrated yeah. by it as, as I was. But Dark of the Moon has fragments of what could be a good film. That is the, damning with faint praise, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the human interaction in it is just filler between these insipid robots hitting, shooting and stabbing each other. But there's it's an improvement, at least. And so... I mean, it's important, though, to bear all that in mind when I say that Age of Extinction is the best Transformers film that he's made. Because um, I think without that context, you might be mistaken for assuming, I mean... That Age of Extinction is a good film, um, because I don't, and it isn't. Um, but it is the best of the four. Uh, and it's decent enough for me to feel a bit bad about laying into Michael Bay as well. Um, cause it's, it's decent. Okay. It's, he has no valid excuse for making an epic length, uh, brainless Peter Tosh and then expecting people to like it just because it is what it is. Um, 
which is a whole three fucking errors, by the way, Transformers 4. Uh, there's absolutely no need for it, and it is just mindless trash for the most part. Well, for all of it, really. It is all just trash. Um, but at least it's a little bit self-aware. Um, and it isn't completely tosh. There are things in there. I arrived at the cinema a little bit late, and I missed the opening two minutes. Um, but then the rest, uh, the next 45 to 60 minutes were good. I mean, it was, it was good. I was entertained. I would, I, at that point, I was sort of thinking, well, it's maybe like a 7 out of 10 kind of film. 6, 7 out of 10. That, that territory. Um, because it's got Mark Wahlberg in it, who I really like, and he seems to work quite well with Michael Bay, in fairness. Uh, he was brilliant in Pain and Gain. Um, and again, uh, at the start of this at least. Okay, he's playing a very paper thin character who's just, uh, this overprotective father who's an inventor come action hero who, you know, fires an alien sword like a rifle and, you know, doesn't quite get his shirt off, but he walks around in a vest and he gets a bit dirty and he's a bit rugged and, you know, he's just Mark Wahlberg basically. Um, but he's pretty good in it. Uh, he does as well as, as you can expect and he's got a lot of charisma. Uh, and it carries the film through that opening, opening 45 minutes. Um, but it's still got crappy dialogue in it. Um, it's really just aimed at kids and that's fair enough I think but it's it's exposition dialogue and that's not so I don't think that's all that forgivable um, it's uh, it is a massive improvement over the wretched Shia LaBeouf and his I'm just a normal kid with normal problems who happens to be dating a rich model you know all that garbage that we've kind of been tortured with in the past um but it's it's got a steady pace to it. There's intriguing plot developments. It sets up a lot of things that actually it follows through on later in the film um, for a change. Uh, and it features some watchable characters. So, you know, already it was 1-0 up on the previous three films. And then what happens is um, more robots turn up. At that point, you've probably only really had one or two robots for the first hour, which seems like... Um, sacrilege for a Transformers film because nobody wants to go to a Transformers film and watch the people but it uses them really well um, there's kind of like a, a, a story behind uh, what's happening to Optimus Prime he's been defeated in the Battle of Chicago and all the Autobots are scattered around the place if there's any left at all and you know he's on his own working with this this inventor to try and try and fix himself so it, it starts off quite well it works quite well but then more robots turn up um, who are these unaligned space assassin type robots and then more robots turn up who are more Autobots and then some more robots turn up who are these like Decepticon inspired man-made robots and it just keeps progressing like that all of them except the bloody Dinobots which have been all over the marketing but barely feature at all until maybe the last half an hour of a three hour film um, which I, you know I wasn't that excited to see the Dinobots but I did feel a little bit conned and I'm sure anyone who watched it just for the Dinobots is going to feel a bit conned as well um, yeah and the plot just gets more and more convoluted as it goes on and two hours in I was kind of clock watching just waiting for it to end and then it does the, the horrible thing that all of the Transformers films do uh, which is they have about five separate frustratingly close uh, endings you think, okay, well, this is where it ends now. And then it carries on a bit longer. You think, okay, well, surely, surely this bit is the end. And now it carries on a bit more. And then is it going to end again? No, it carries on and there's more fighting. And it just keeps going on and extending it and extending it. And it's 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 needless. And it's excessive. And it's smug. 
from from Michael Bay. I think he just um, he's just pleasing himself and sort of the audience at that point. Um, and it it does have, like I say, it does have storylines. It's fair to say it's actually probably the only one that executes a conventional storyline that moves from A to Z. Um, although it does have about five or six storylines all running. Um, or uh, I'm going to quote what I put in my review, which is they all run, they're all running down Bay's legs like shit from a dozen different meals that kind of exploded with such force out of his backside that the only thing true about them is that they will get to his ankles eventually, where they'll all mingle into a brown sticky mess, and that's basically what his storylines are oh, like. They should have put they're just They should, yeah, they can have that if they want it. Um, they'll probably just take one piece out of there where it exploded. That'll be the quote <laughs> of the features on the. But um, but you know, at least they are all running in the same direction, I guess. Um, and you also have Kelsey Grammer who's in it, and he's very good, although he's a bit underused. Stanley Tucci, 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 I don't know how you pronounce his surname. Um, who's also very good, along with Wahlberg, and they kind of improve everything beyond its obvious limits. And again, Bay's direction was perhaps a tad overzealous. It adds some of his trademark flair to proceedings, and it's not all just spinning low-angle camera shots or slow-mo background explosions. Um, but there is also a bit of kissing uh, in front of a sunset, as you would expect. Um, with with which helicopters I would ex- or no helicopters? There were no helicopters in that scene, I'm afraid. <laughs> but there was a car. No kissing in front of a car. Um, you know, I would accuse him of stealing that from Blue is the Warmest Colour as well. See, I saw, I saw an annoying internet meme the other day that seems to be going around a bit. Oh, yeah. Which says, oh, when they're making Armageddon, Ben Affleck said to Michael Bay, why don't they just send up normal astronauts rather than, you know, oil drillers or whatever. And Michael Bay told Ben Affleck to shut the fuck up. But that's a, but I mean, that's a <laughs> to explain the film why they need drillers. And they don't even get them to fly the, the shuttle. They get the proper astronauts to do that. They get William Fitchner to I do mean, it. Basic, they? Yeah, basically, <laughs> Armageddon, as a plot, I mean, scientifically it's probably not sound, but in terms of the actual reasoning for who's going into space, <laughs> it's fine. I think, I, yeah. I imagine. It has a story that sort of makes sense. I imagine sense, doesn't it? it's easier to teach drillers, people who do deep deep oil drilling like they do in Armageddon to go and sit on a space shuttle than it is for astronauts to teach them how to be expert drillers. Um, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think it's you're underselling what an no, astronaut but, but, no, does. But they, just have, they, they got enough to worry <laughs> yeah, but, about. They got the whole, yeah, but, they got the whole like, spacecraft yeah, they, to be they were, They weren't doing the astronauting, though, Bruce Willis and all those people. They were just, no, they were just there to do the drilling. They weren't doing the astronauting. So they were just like, yeah. you know, if I'm going on holiday, they're not teaching me how to fly the plane. There you I go. Suppose yeah. so. Flawless logic. <laughs> Great. Flawless. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know where to carry on from that. I mean, I think that's what I need to. I mean, I mean it's, it's on the... got a decent opening hour. <laughs> it's the best you can it, really. say. It's got a decent opening hour. Yeah. On, do you think, uh, how how good are the um, fight scenes on a scale of one to Pacific Rim? <laughs> yeah, from on a scale of Transformers to Pacific yeah. Rim. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's definitely better than Godzilla versus Destoroyer. Can you tell um, who's meant to be who in the fights? 
Yeah. Yeah, but the the caveat to that is they're using a. I mean, they always had like the, the transformers were identifiable by what color they were, um, but they use that a lot more in this. So you've got characters who are bright blue, or a character who is um, bright red, and you think, okay, so now I can tell what's happening in this particular fight scene. Um, and he, it, I think he's worked on that a little bit, and it shows. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's still not, we're not talking like Pacific Rim levels, uh, where you can actually see all of the action, or, you know. And you're not talking like Godzilla, um, like the, uh, remake, the one that came out quite recently. Uh, we're not talking that level of, of action where you are given the perspective that you get from that film. Um, which is more impressive than the actual fighting that goes on in that. You you just have more of the same, but it's done better. It's sort of halfway, I guess, between what it used to be and Pacific. Right. Um, so yeah, that concludes um, the new release reviews. Just before we go, one last thing, and that is our recommendations for the week ahead. Um, not a lot on telly, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm going for five star. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, which I believe is a freeview channel at five past two on uh, Sunday afternoon, and it is the classic children's animated film, The Land Before Time. Yeah, <laughs> I won't be tuning in uh, probably because it'll make me there cry. There you go. But um, yeah, something something different for for. It's. Uh, I mean, what are you recommending? Um, on Friday, uh, I think it's the first time it's being shown on TV. Friday on Film Four at ten fifty-five PM is The Raid, which is quite possibly one of the best modern action films you're likely to find anywhere. And Carol, I went to see The Raid Double Bill a couple of weeks ago at Prince Charles, and they they should really name it like a wince along event. There were Every time a bone snapped, people were making audible, uncomfortable noises. It was fantastic. <laughs> and there was a lot of bones snapping. Um, so my recommendation is on Monday, uh, and actually it's also on Thursday, on Movie Mix, which I'm reliably informed is on Freeview at 9 o'clock, is a film called Identity, which is, I think it's probably about 10 years old now, um, but it's quite an effective kind of murder mystery. Uh, Ten people are in a, a hotel and they'll get bumped off one by one. And it's got a nice little nice little story to it, nice little twist at the end. Okay. Um, cool. Bit of film trivia before we go. Leonard Nimoy is the cousin-in-law of Michael Bay. No way. Yep. I didn't know cousin-in-laws <laughs> were a thing, but apparently it is. Can he not do that thing he did in the first remake of Star Trek and just go back and like make him do something else? Mm. <laughs> um... Anyway, so yes, that's all it for this week's uh, this week's <laughs> podcast. Um, we'll be back next week. Not really many new releases worth reviewing next week, so uh, we might stick in a triple bill, and James might be back 
Um, so thank you all for listening. Thanks to everyone who has contributed. Sparking off people, as as most of it was. <laughs> um, so yeah, it does it does seem quite smart. It does seem like they're going for the this is ridiculous angle, and and we fully are aware of the fact that this is ridiculous. So we're just going to have as much fun with it as possible. But um, just like keeps the kind of general smart artery of the of the comics, I think, which is something that I was not nervous he was going to mess up because I do like James Gunn, I'm a big fan but something that I thought maybe wasn't going to get through the the Marvel process uh, but it mm. seems to have done very they seem to have done very well Yeah, it, could, it can be difficult to get the humour of comics across into the films, especially ones where you've got, you know, Rocket Raccoon, which is obviously Rocky Raccoon the Beatles song that's been turned into this space creature shooting lasers raccoon thing and and a tree that just says his name over and over again you know it can be very difficult to get that translated across but from the i haven't seen this preview obviously but i've seen like trailers and stuff. it looks like the tone is it, it looks like it's got it from what i saw yeah i Look, i think it yeah. definitely has um and uh, yeah, I, I think they've just got, especially, yeah, I, I did actually call him Rocky just now, didn't I? Um, <laughs> especially, yeah, Rocket, I think they've got him, from, from what, from what I saw, I think they've got him spot on. And I was really amazed, Bradley Cooper sounds nothing like Bradley Cooper, he actually sounds like, um, a raccoon. Like a, a, a talking <laughs> raccoon. Um, he actually sounds like a, I, I think the, the comparison I would probably make is like a, a New York taxi driver. He's got that proper, proper like New Yorker accent down, and okay. I actually had to remind myself that it was Bradley Cooper talking. Didn't have to remind myself it was Vin Diesel talking at all. Uh, but um, yeah, it lo- it looks good. good. Pretty excited. Just about on it. a complete tangent, and I'll talk about it a little bit later anyway. But I went to see Transformers this week, and Mark Wahlberg, with his thick um, Boston accent. Uh-huh. Oh, is it Boston or Brooklyn? It's, it's Wherever Boston. it is. He's, he is from yeah, yeah. Boston. He's got this thick Boston accent. He plays a Texan with a Boston accent. Nice. It's just completely, yeah, <laughs> completely unbelievable. I'm not even American, and I can tell he's just Con- not from Texas. Sean Connery never tried an accent in his life, did he? So I mean, and he and he was <laughs> he's a very good actor. So why should Marky Mark be anything different? Yeah. Exactly. I just think like, even in Highlander, he was. Uh, was he an Egyptian with a Spanish name in Scotland? Yeah. Let's yeah. let's not forget King Richard of England in in Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> True. But uh, th- who else? What, what was I going to say? Yeah, but people just—I don't know. I, I think probably people care a lot less about accents. Oh, uh, Hannibal. That's what I was going to talk about. Uh, Hannibal, obviously at the moment, not film, obviously, but it's on TV, and we we're mm-hmm. used to him being played as an American. I think he is an American, isn't he? Um, I haven't seen any of the actual lecture films for ages, but he's being played by Mads Mikkelsen, who's not doing an accent at all. He's just doing his Danish accent, mm. and you know, no one, no one really cares. I think it works because his name is Hannibal Lecter, which isn't really like a typical American name anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's brilliant in that though, Mads Mikkelsen. He is. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else playing the role now. I know you've got like Anthony Hopkins and so on, but. Blimey, he's just nailed it. He's he's been fantastic. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that's all for the for the news uh for this week, or any newsworthy news anyway. 
Uh, artist break is what we've been watching. So, what we've been watching then, when we take a look at the films we've seen in the last, um, well, fortnight since the last podcast. Um, oh, why don't you start us off? Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll let you two choose. I've got two things prepared, but I don't know which to talk about. I can either do a review of Filth, which is the film with James McAvoy in it, which I just absolutely loved. But James has already talked about that one. Or I can do like a, a compendium of of different horror films that I've watched over the last four years. You know what? Do them both, because I'm not really going to be talking about much, because I haven't really seen much. So just <laughs> do, them, do them both. Just do yeah. both. Alright, I'll take up 20 minutes yeah, of the podcast because I'll just basically own. say, I've, I've been away, and when I've not been away, I've been working loads. Uh, so I've seen The Godfather. I don't really think anybody really wants me to talk about one of the greatest films of all time. I wouldn't say it's brilliant, and... Um, Oh, but what what would you improve on it then, Steve? What would you change about the Godfather? Um, I don't know, but there's one thing I did really like. Um, not a lot of people notice this, but it's the camera angles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, Carol, Carol got the joke this time, because last time she didn't, um, which, which we're going to have to edit in somewhere along the line. You totally ruined the mystique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I could improve it, really. No. Nah. No, you wouldn't set it at Christmas, make Al Pacino barefoot all the way through. No. Put a massive, like, uh, cuddly toy in it somewhere. No, if you've got a horse's, <laughs> horse's head, that's near enough a cuddly toy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, and yeah, I saw Shutter as well, which is an awful horror film with the fat one from Dawson's Creek in it. Um, hmm. Which one's the fat one? It's not James Van Der Beek, it's the one who was in Fringe. Oh, um, Joshua Jackson. Casey. He's not fat. He is a bit chubby in the face. <laughs> <He's> not... <laughs> bit, bit of a chubby face, especially in Fringe. Um, but yeah, Shutter's rubbish. It's a remake, isn't it? Of, it's, I think it's Japanese. Well, yeah, but this is this is set in Japan. So what, even even more like pointless Hollywood remake. Most Hollywood remake of Japanese horrors, they at least set it in America. This one's set in Japan. Even one less thing to take away from the... Anyway, it's pointless. Don't bother watching it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did. I was made to. It wasn't my choice. Um, yeah, so Owen, talk about the, all the things you're talking about. Okay. Well, feel free to interrupt either of you, because otherwise it's just going to be about 15 minutes of me solidly talking. So, uh, yeah, so, okay, well, I'll get filth out of the way first. Uh, and I'll try to keep it brief, because James has reviewed this last year when it came out. Um, and I was really kind of gutted when it came out, because it it seemingly didn't get shown anywhere near me. Um, all my local cinemas passed on the opportunity to show it. So I kind of had to wait until um, until recently when I got an offer through email from Blinkbox, and it said basically I can have 50% off any film if I buy it on, on the website. And Filth just kind of leapt out at me. Um, to give a description of it, it's essentially a Scottish bad lieutenant. Um, uh, I mean, I'm sure... Carol's aware of Bad Lieutenant, particularly the uh, Nicolas Cage remake. Oh, I love that film. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, but this is by John S. Baird, and it's um, essentially playing James McAvoy plays um, plays a cop, uh, a detective who's trying to get promotion, uh, but he's also uh, a junkie who drinks a lot. Um, and then, as the film kind of progresses, he starts hallucinating weird things. 
Um, and yeah, basically, it, it's just a really good film. Um, however, I know a few people were kind of disappointed by it, and I can understand why. Um, it's a very, very black comedy. Um, and it's an adaptation of Irving Welsh's novel, so if you, you know, people don't generally like Irving Welsh or his writing, you probably aren't gonna get anything out of this film. Um, it's as far from a conventional style of storytelling on film as you can possibly get. Um, however, you know, I, just because I understand why people might not like it, part of that is the reason I do like it. This unconventional style is, is something I, I really enjoyed in it. It's, it's so different, so original. Um, there's n- other than it being about a, a cop going insane and being comparable to Bad Lieutenant in that way, it's just quite different from, from most of the films I've seen. So, um, yeah, I mean, James McAvoy's probably given a career best performance in this, and I'm just gonna echo what James said, uh, when he, when he said that he was gutted that James McAvoy missed out on any, like, Oscar nominations, um, because it's unbelievable. He is just absolutely fantastic in this. Um, his character's name is Detective Bruce Robertson, uh, and he is very ambitious, and he does everything possible to try and achieve this promotion, um, even though he's just this really disturbed, drug-and-drink-addled guy. Um, you know, he steals from friends, he mocks homeless people, uh, he sleeps with the wives of his fellow colleagues, and, you know, he takes children's balloons off them, for fuck's sake, so he's, you know, he's quite a nasty bastard. Um... But yeah, through the sheer magnitude of McAvoy's portrayal of, of this desperate, lonely man who's coming apart at the seams, you just support him because because he has nobody else. Just the viewer who he, he breaks the fourth wall to address occasionally, you know. You you become his only friend as the viewer, and you're the only non-judgmental friend he's got, and you're you're privy to the these innermost fears that that he possesses, and you see all these things he's hallucinating and the effect that it's having on him. Um... And also, at the same time, you then become this person who who he can be honest with. When he's talking to you through the camera, he's sort of explaining himself in a way that he doesn't to anybody else, and he doesn't make any other human connections. Apart from um, with his friend, who's played by Eddie Marson, who he bullies, basically, through the whole film. He bullies him, but he becomes his only fr- his only real friend. Um, but Eddie Marson's great as well, and he's got, uh, the, the film's got a great cast. You've got Jim Broadbent in it, who's always, always great. Imogen Poots, um, who I really liked in The Look of Love and seems to be, um, on the rise at the minute, getting a lot of good films. Uh, John Sessions, who I've never really seen in a film. I've only seen him on, like, uh, things like QI or when he's been interviewed. And, you know, then you've got other, other good people in there. Jamie Bell's p- uh, pretty good as well. Um, but, I mean, the, the characters are kind of, peripheral in the wider context of the film which is about because uh, the story is about him trying to find a murderer actually um as well as trying to trying to get this promotion and the characters just kind of teeter on the edge of of these things that happen to him um as his promotions kind of slipping away from him uh, and his, his mental health deteriorates but um they're still really good they're really good performances and without them you know without the level of performance uh, it wouldn't have been as good a film. So yeah, I mean, I, I was good to miss out on the film last year. Um, and if I had seen it, it probably would have made my top ten for my end of year list. Um, but yeah, no, it's brilliant. And I, I ended up actually, I watched it on whatever day it was. It was like a Tuesday, I think. And then I ended up 
on the Thursday watching it again because I just really enjoyed it that much. And I'll, I'll just, uh, yeah, James McAvoy is just fantastic in it. And it's a great film. Okay. And a quick roundup of the horror films you've seen. Yeah, I watched a, a few that um, I've been really looking forward to. Uh, I watched a film called Your Next, um, which I think James also saw. Did you see that one as well? Yeah, that's you? kind of the... Um, yeah. The home invasion one. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really I, good. I, I, like, I think um, me and Dane has the same opinion. We liked it, and it was a good idea, until, without spoiling it for people who still haven't seen it, or it's been out for a while now, the, until the twist was revealed, and then it kind of went downhill a bit, I thought. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd say downhill, but there's definitely, like, a complete tonal change. Yeah, until, until um, once, once you, once a twist is revealed, it loses a bit of its tenseness, which isn't a word, but, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, it, it is a very tense film, as most home invasion films are, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of Hanukkah's, uh, funny games, if that was played as a straight film. Because um, you've just got this family being attacked in their own home by people. You don't know why they're attacking them. Um, why are they wearing these weird, like, animal masks? I think on the poster you've got the guy with, uh, like, a wolf mask on. And you just don't understand why yeah. or what's happening. Or, uh, But, yeah, and then, as you sort of said, the, about three quarters of the way film, I think. Maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe two thirds. There's just a change. The twist is revealed. And it becomes more of like an action yeah. horror, whereas previously it was a very tense. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a bad um, twist, but they, if they had done it later on in the film, right towards the end, it would have kept the kind of suspense a lot better, and probably kept the. I, yeah, maybe, but I mean, I, I kind of appreciated that they they didn't because it's not a fantastic. No, twist. it's not. It's not. You know, it's, it's not. Quite, um, it, once it's revealed, it's just like, oh right, well that pretty kind of exactly so then so once it's revealed they can just carry yeah. on with with getting to the end of the film basically um and it does have a really good ending i did quite like the ending um but yeah uh i mean i've seen the only things i've seen by the directors adam lingard and well simon barrett wrote it as well i think and adam lingard they worked together before on vhs vhs2 yeah. um and they're two short films in those um anthology films I didn't particularly enjoy. I think that they did one in ABCs of Death as well, which was quite meta, which was Q is for Quack. Um and that was interesting and it showed potential. So I'm kind of glad they, they kind of ended up realising their potential almost with your next because it's a really good yeah. film actually. It's really good. Um but also uh, making a cameo in your next is uh, a director I really like called Ty West, and he's one of these indie horror filmmakers who people either really like or they don't like at all. So, did you see Innkeepers as well, Steve? Um, the Innkeepers. I want to, but I haven't yet, and I don't know why. I don't think you I'll be able to find it yeah. anywhere on Netflix or anything. No, I think House of the Devil's more more common. That's his um, his his first major film that he was happy to call his film. I think he did one of the Wrong Turn sequels, or uh, might not have been Wrong Turn. What's the one? With, uh, Cabin Fever. I think he did Cabin Fever 2 or 3, and they butchered it, basically. So his name is on it as the director, but he's disowned it. Um, but House of the Devil's fantastic film. Very, very atmospheric. Um, and even though it's about just a girl babysitting in a house, 
uh, and he's the devil, you know, etc. Um, it's it's brilliant and it's so different. Um, I think uh, the the innkeepers is similar with not a lot happening in it. It's mainly about the two people and all this atmosphere building. It's not as good as House of the Devil. So this this film that I'm going to talk about now is The Sacrament, which came out last year. Um, it's a it's kind of it's his take on like the Jonestown massacre. So there's a cult, yeah. um, and they've got this guy who's the father of this parish, who's uh, played by um, a guy called Gene Jones, who's just unbelievably charismatic in this. And it part of his charisma is great casting, actually, because you get to see why so many people are suckered in by these these cult leaders. Um, but again, it's another film um, by Ty West, which is slow. Um, you have these characters... It's basically his film footage take. Um you have these documentary makers. I think they're actually they're, they're from a media outlet who expose the truth behind different things. And they join this American guy um, out into this country that's not named, but I think it might be somewhere in Africa. Um, it's not named, but it's a remote location where this guy's sister is. And she's saying that this, this place she lives now, is she's never been happier. Um, she she was an alcoholic uh, or a or drug um Someone addicted to drugs, I can't remember. And now she's sober and it's all because of, of this parish that's changed her life. So she's going out, uh, she's invited her brother out to go and, go and see her there. He brings along this media outlet. Um, and it's very bleak. It's, it's very harrowing as well. Um, as you might expect with bits and bobs taken from, from the real Jonestown massacre. Um, and it kind of leaves a, a bad taste in the back of your throat as you watch it because, because of what it, what it's, portraying um and it's it's basically him looking into the darker side of humanity what can what people can do to each other and the reasons they try to justify that with so it's a very dark film but it is very atmospheric um and yeah i just it's one of these films that i want to say i enjoyed but enjoyed isn't the right word if you know what i mean but the sacrament was was very good um but after watching the sacrament i watched another film uh, which I'd been looking forward to, which was re- released last year, which has got a quite a a, a shit name actually. Uh, it's called Jugface. <laughs> so have either of you seen Jugface no. or no. heard of Jugface? <laughs> no. It sounds like a really camp, shitty um, horror comedy, but it's not a, a comedy at all. Nothing about it is comedy uh, or, or funny. Um, it's. Um, it follows uh, an incestuous young woman in a backwards hick community that worship a healing pit in the ground. That's the story. Uh, every so often they have to sacrifice one of their community to the pit to keep the pit's ghost from coming up and killing Make, folk. Makes sense so far. Um, obviously, yeah, of course. Um, the next person chosen to be sacrificed to the pit um, which is chosen by this lower than your average IQ hick character, um, who gets possessed by the spirit and he bakes a clay jug and the chosen one's face is on the jug, hence the film's title, Jug Face. Um, but the person who's chosen is our protagonist and she, um, finds the jug with her face on it. So she knows that she's been selected for sacrifice, but she chooses to hide the jug face before anyone sees it so she can protect her unborn child who she whose dad is her brother. Um 
So yeah, so as a result of her, uh, her actions, there are consequences which are delivered by this angry pit monster. I mean, I'd read that actually it's kind of a unique horror film, um, and it's not what you should expect at all, um, because it has this really um, silly concept, I suppose. It's a very silly concept, but it's played in a very straight way, and it does itself um, justice with that, because if it did play it too silly, it would just be pointless, but it plays it very straight, which I did kind of like. However, the film I did find overall slightly underwhelming if I'm honest um, it's not really a straight horror film It's it, what it reminded me of was um, Devil's Backbone you know the uh, Guillermo del Toro film um, but not, obviously not Spanish it's, it's American um, which is it's got ghosts and ghouls in it but they're not really ghosts and ghouls you know um, but there's a lot of disturbing imagery in it as well um, there's, there's, there's concepts about what a community is, what sacrifice is. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It did underwhelm me slightly. Um, but Lauren Ashley Carter was probably the best thing about the whole film, um, playing the lead character, Ada. Um, she's just, um, the only reason you'd care about what happens to her is because of her performance, really. Um, and the same can't really be said for most of the supporting cast, I'm afraid. Uh, seriously, Sean Young, um, she play, she's Rachel from Blade Runner, if you remember that, and Lois in Ace Ventura as well. She plays, um, a character in this, uh, who's Ada's mother. She's just utterly appalling. I've never seen such a bad performance from an established actor in, in a horror film like this. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't think I'd watch that again, but I mean, I'm kind of glad that I watched it anyway. I, I was quite okay. looking forward to it. And the final film, that I'm going to talk about, just the last one, because I know I am rabbiting on a bit now, um, was recommended to us by um, Shorky on, on Twitter, uh, at Shorky1969, who has recommended loads of things to us as well. And he's got an article on the website at the moment about Fright Fest, which is well worth reading, very interesting um, and insightful about what's going on there. So The Borderlands is a film he recommended to, to me. Um, it's a British found footage film, and I do like found footage films anyway. Um, but it's kind of more like a compilation footage horror film. Um, it's about a team from the Vatican who come over to, to England to investigate a supposed miracle that's occurred in a church where the, the priest in this rural church, he claims to have seen the physical manifestation of Jesus. Um, so you get Robin Hill, who was in Down Terrace and Kill List, the Ben Wheatley films, uh, who's a tech guy who's hired by the, the Vatican to catch everything supernatural on camera. Um, with with these two guys from the Vatican, it's brilliant. Really enjoyed it. It's probably the the best of the horror films that I that I watched over the la- the past couple of weeks. Um, it, it's not particularly original. Um, it's just about this creepy church and the creepy guy who 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 is the priest of this church and this small community in the southwest of England. Um, but it's a back to basics film, and what everything it does, it does brilliantly. It's um, got an intimidating atmosphere. It, it's very funny at times as well. It can be. Very, I mean, I like Robin Hill anyway, and he's genuinely um, entertaining in this. And it is very spooky. There's. It starts off a bit jokey with a bit of banter at the start between Robin Hill and um, a guy called Gordon Kennedy, and it's genuinely amusing. Um, but then it gets darker and darker, and then as the mystery of whether or not a real miracle occurred kind of slowly unravels. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. The, the last ten minutes of this film, absolutely brutal. Um, 
it's got one of the best endings of the genre for, for the genre that I've seen for ages. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else the director Elliot Goldner uh, can do next because because this is this is great. If you're going to watch any of the ones I've talked about, um, other than Filth, because Filth is brilliant, Borderlands, it's fantastic. Okay, uh, Carol, what have you seen? Um, a lot of the World Cup. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think I've only I've only seen a new release uh, this week, so I'll be talking about that in a, in a little bit. I think. Okay. Well, we'll end what we've been watching there then, and up next we'll have <laughs> new release uh, reviews of Transformers: uh, The Age of Extinction, and is it the 100-year-old man who climbed out a window and went on a walk? Almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time for them to review our new releases um, for the last week. Uh, we're going to start off with, Carol, the title of this one is? As I read it from the Amazon uh, page of the book in front of me, it is The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out of the Window and Disappeared. Carol, had you read the book prior to seeing the film? Yes, I read the book last I, year. I tried reading the book, and I liked it. And I like the concept, but I just found, I gave up on it because I just found it rambled on and on and on. It seemed to drag on for ages. It did, it does get very samey. If, basically I'll, I'll give you kind of a synopsis, because um, obviously the film is pretty much the same as the book. Uh, it is about a hundred year old man who on his hundredth birthday is in a nursing home and just suddenly thinks, you know, because he's in a nursing home and just goes, fuck this, and just literally climbs out the window and, and runs away as fast as a hundred-year-old man can go. Um, it does, I think you, I think I know what probably annoyed you, and it was going backwards and forwards. No, it wasn't that. It, between, it, wasn't, it no? wasn't that. I quite liked um, going back in time to his, you know, what he'd done in his life before, obviously, the adventures of, of the current day that he was going on. Well, I just found it was it just dragged, and it was just like it became a real slog to read it so much that I gave up on it. But the trailer made it look the film look really fun. I actually had no idea this was becoming a film until about two weeks ago, and I saw the poster on the tube, and I thought it was for the book. And then when I was actually <laughs> on the uh, on the platform a bit later, I noticed it was a film. I had no idea. I didn't see a trailer for it or anything. So, uh, but yeah, I had read the book, and I had I had quite enjoyed it. Um, I do know what you mean. It does, it does get a bit samey, kind of, probably about two thirds of the way through. Um, but, you know, it was, it was pleasant enough. It's not, it's not particularly long. There just, there seemed to be a, um, a spate of these books coming out of Sweden in the last few years. There's one about a woman as well, who ends up robbing a bank. The hundred year uh, old woman who climbed out the window and disappeared. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> it's just a little old lady. They, you should never ask a lady her age. So, you know, putting it on the book would be, tantamount to, to heresy, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah, so it is about 100-year-old man, etc. And and as he goes along, um, he sort of runs away from this nursing home and gets into all sorts of scrapes, which, frankly, I'd be a bit concerned about a 100-year-old man getting into, to be perfectly honest. But along the way, he recounts um, what's happened to him during his life. So it's a bit... I've seen a lot of people say, saying it's like Forrest Gump, and I sort of do have to agree with that a little bit. He goes through his life he was on both sides of the spanish civil war accidentally accidentally was involved in the making of the atom bomb etc and you know it's obviously a bit fantastical and and everything um 
I didn't think it was because I, I did start to find the book a bit kind of tedious getting towards the two thirds mark. But the good thing about the film is obviously it's not long enough to really get that tedious. It's under two hours. Um, so yeah, I actually quite I quite liked it because they just took the episodes from the book that were really interesting and kept them. There was there was a lot of stuff they've obviously had to cut out. I remember there being a bit in career in the in the um film in the book, sorry. And they they've taken that completely out of the film. So they just have kind of like the you know, a few bits and pieces that have happened to him rather than everything. because um, that's what I actually found quite dull going through the book was just, oh yeah, and then I did this and then I got involved in this war and uh you know, it just kind of went on and on. But um yeah, it's 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 pleasant enough. It's um it's quite a diverse it's it's a decent kind of Sunday afternoon film, I think. Um you know, really diverse in a couple of hours. Um, the characters are all quite likable. Some of them are actually more likable in the film than the, than the book, I think. Uh, and it and it's got an elephant in it, so you know, <laughs> brilliant. What more can you want? It it is a bit fantastical and it is a bit far fetched, but you know, it, it's it's harmless enough. To be honest, it's uh, it, it's not amazing. It's not going to win any awards, but it's it's pretty fun and uh, recommended if you've got a spare Sunday afternoon. I think. Okay. Uh, and on to the film that we've we've been waiting for since the third instalment came out, <laughs> which is Transformers with a four instead of one of the letters, because uh, it's four and trans Transformers. <laughs> that, that's why that's happened. It's the Age of Extinction as well. <laughs> is the other part of the title. Owen has seen this for us and is going to tell us all about the first Transformers film with no shy of the beef. Thank God. Um, did did he explain yeah, uh, him not being in it? He's just not involved in the story. It's happening somewhere else. Right. Fine. Yeah, he's just not there. He's not there. It's not explained as, no, this is happening without the Witwickies. Um It's just that some other family are now involved. Uh, but before I actually go on to talk about um, Age of Extinction, I think it's worth us just having a quick discussion about Michael Bay. Um, because if you count that, was it $500 million that, um, Transformers Age of Extinction has, has made, he is now technically, um, the most successful director after Spielberg, I think. He can't Possibly be. even ahead of James Cameron. He can't be, he can't be before James Cameron, surely. Mm, I don't know, apparently. That's the, that's what I read this week. That's disgusting. Um, yeah. I've seen nine of his films, and I think he's only made eleven. Uh, and I don't know why, but I guess if he is the most successful, or one of the most successful directors, that shouldn't be as surprising or concerning to me as it is, but there you go. I have seen um, all his films except this latest Transformers 1 and Pain and Gain. Oh, well, Pain and Gain's his best one, I think. I know what you're going to say is his Bad best Bad Boys. One. Well, actually, no, it's The yeah. Rock. You'd be, you'd be correct. It's actually The Rock, actually, is his best one. I would say Pain and Gain, then The Rock, then Bad Boys, then Armageddon, probably. And The Island is half of a decent film as well. But Transformers, I think we can all agree, are not very good movies. No. At all. They're not really the highlight of his oeuvre, are they? Incidentally, I I actually thought until about a month ago that he directed Con Air as well. I didn't realise it was someone else completely different. (laughs) (laughs) Simon West, I think. Yeah. He did Expendables too, which is a great But there's a lot of, well, okay. But there's a lot of uh, kind of tropes from Bay films in that that film, definitely. 
There's a lot of kind of screeching eighties, mm. nineties guitar and a lot of sunset. <laughs> and a lot of stuff blowing yeah. up. And a lot of stuff blowing up, obviously. Yeah. Um Yeah. I mean what do what so what is our general opinion of Michael Bay? Overrated, underrated, uh rated about as Chronic right as decline. <laughs> and ruining my childhood one film at a time. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's interesting, because that's what everyone says, because he, he has ruined if they, if they, I mean, he's doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which might be crap as well. If that is crap, all he needs to do is give him the animals of farthing wood and ruin that for me, and I'll just really hate him. <laughs> yeah, he'll be on to Homeward Bound next, and then you'll really just I'll, blow yeah. a gasket. Um, but, I mean, he, make, <laughs> he makes a certain type of film, and he makes it well. Generally, sometimes he makes it successfully. Yes. Yeah, I think. Are, are we seriously um, saying, by the way, that all Transformers films are worse than Pearl Harbor? Is that what we're saying? Uh, they're probably. Yeah, well, I'm not I'd, I'd Pearl say Harbor. the Transformers films are more hysterically accurate than Pearl Harbor. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, never watched Pearl Harbor. I can't bring myself to watch. The only, that. The only good bit is Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, who is actually okay. quite good. Everything else is wank. Anyway, let's talk about Transformers and stuff. Yes, okay. Well, I saw the first Transformers film um, when it came out, because I was... See, really I didn't mind the first it. one. No, the first one was alright. Well, I've re-watched that yesterday, um, and I watched Age of Extinction last week, or the weekend. So there's... Um, it, 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 I, it was better than I remembered it, but it's still not a very good film. The first Transformers. I just don't like the characters in it. The only thing he gets right is some of the action scenes, which I remember being worse than they are. Because I can remember them being just completely indecipherable. Yeah. And you can't really make out anything that happens. But that was slightly harsh. The only bits that are indecipherable um, are when you get like Megatron and Optimus Prime fighting each other. And Optimus Prime at the time is a bit scuffed up and he's just a bit grey looking. And um, they're just two big grey metal things crashing into each other, and it's, you just can't make out what's happening. But the rest of the action scenes are okay. The bit with the military where you've got the, like, the, the uh, helicopter guy landing at the start, that was quite good. John, John um, Turturro's quite yeah. good in it. Because he clearly just knows uh, it's all a load of crap. Yeah, he... No, I can't, I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't, didn't like anybody in it. <laughs> um, but the second one, Revenge of the Fallen, is genuinely... One of the worst films I've ever seen. It's nothing but, but porn for Michael Bay, really. Nothing but him to wank himself to death over, thinking, look at this fantastic film I've made, which is just explosion, then explosion, then explosion, then military, then explosion, then military, then explosion, and then we stop it in the middle and we'll have a robot tell us what the beginning of the film was meant to be, what the middle is supposed to be, and what the end's gonna be. And then more explosions and more fighting. Uh, it's terrible, absolutely horrendous. You, you forgot the uh, part where they explain the robots' bodily functions. Did I, did I just, I've tried to <laughs> just wipe the whole thing from memory. It's such a bad um, film. I haven't even bothered seeing the third. I couldn't bring myself to. I still haven't seen it. I still haven't seen Dark of the Moon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I watched the third, considering how much I hated Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> um, and then I made James and Steve watch it when I won a quiz, and. They were equally mm. as uh, frustrated yeah. by it as, as I was. But Dark of the Moon has fragments of what could be a good film. 
That is the... damning with faint praise, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the human interaction in it is just filler between these insipid robots hitting, shooting and stabbing each other. But there's it's an improvement, at least. And so... I mean, it's important, though, to bear all that in mind when I say that Age of Extinction is the best Transformers film that he's made. Because um, I think without that context, you might be mistaken for assuming, I mean, that Age of Extinction is a good film. Um, because I don't, and it isn't. Um, but it is the best of the four. Uh, and it's decent enough for me to feel a bit bad about laying into Michael Bay as well. Because um, it's, it's decent. Okay, it's... He has no valid excuse for making an epic-length, uh, brainless Peter Tosh and then expecting people to like it just because it is what it is. Um, which is a whole three fucking errors, by the way, Transformers 4. Uh, there's absolutely no need for it, and it is just mindless trash, for the most part. Well, for all of it, really. It is all just trash. Um, but at least it's a little bit self-aware. Um, and it isn't completely... Tosh. There were things in there. I arrived at the cinema a little bit late, and I missed the opening two minutes. Um, but then the rest, uh, the next forty-five to sixty minutes, were good. I mean, it was it was good. I was entertained. I would I, at that point, I was sort of thinking, well, it's maybe like a seven out of ten kind of film, six, seven out of ten, that that territory, um, because it's got Mark Wahlberg in it, who I really like, and he seems to work quite well with Michael Bay. In fairness, uh, he was brilliant in Pain and Gain, um, and again. Uh, at the start of this, at least. Okay, he's playing a very paper-thin character who's just uh, this overprotective father who's an inventor-cum-action hero who, you know, fires an alien sword like a rifle and, you know, doesn't quite get his shirt off, but he walks around in a vest and he gets a bit dirty and he's a bit rugged and, you know, he's just Mark Wahlberg, basically. Um, but he's pretty good, isn't he? Uh, he does as well as, as you can expect and he's got a lot of charisma uh, and it carries the film... Through that opening, opening 45 minutes. Um, but it's still got crappy dialogue in it. Um, it's really just aimed at kids, and that's fair enough, I think. But it's, it's exposition dialogue, and that's not so, I don't think that's all that forgivable. Um, it's, uh, it is a massive improvement over the wretched Shia LaBeouf. And he's, I'm just a normal kid with normal problems who happens to be dating a rich model. You know, all that garbage that we've kind of been tortured with in the past. Um, but it's it's got a steady pace to it. There's intriguing plot developments. It sets up a lot of things that actually it follows through on later in the film um, for a change. Uh, and it features some watchable characters. So, you know, already it was 1-0 up on the previous three films. And then what happens is... Um, more robots turn up. At that point, you've probably only really had one or two robots for the first hour, which seems like um, sacrilege for a Transformers film, because nobody wants to go to a Transformers film and watch the people. But it uses them really well. Um, there's kind of like a, a, a story behind uh, what's happening to Optimus Prime. He's been defeated in the Battle of Chicago, and all the Autobots are scattered around the place, if there's any left at all, and you know, he's on his own working with this, this inventor to try and, try and fix himself. So it starts off quite well, it works quite well, but then more robots turn up. Um, who are these unaligned space assassin type robots? And then more robots turn up, who are more Autobots. And then some more robots turn up, who are these like Decepticon inspired man-made robots. And it just keeps progressing like that. All of them except the bloody Dinobots. 
which have been all over the marketing, but barely feature at all until maybe the last half an hour of a three-hour film. Um, which, I, you know, I wasn't that excited to see the Dinobots, but I did feel a little bit conned, and I'm sure anyone who watched it just for the Dinobots is going to feel a bit conned as well. Um, yeah, and the plot just gets more and more convoluted as it goes on, and two hours in, I was kind of clock-watching, just waiting for it to end. And then it does the, the horrible thing that all of the Transformers films do, uh, which is they have about five separate, frustratingly close uh, endings. You think, okay, well, this is where it ends now. And then it carries on a bit longer. You think, okay, well, surely, surely this bit is the end. And now it carries on a bit more. And then is it going to end again? No, it carries on and there's more fighting. And it just keeps going on and extending it and extending it. And it's 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 needless. And it's excessive. And it's smug from, from Michael Bay. I think he just um, he's just pleasing himself and sod the audience at that point. Um... And it it does have, like I say, it does have storylines. It's fair to say it's actually probably the only one that executes a conventional storyline that moves from A to Z. Um, although it does have about five or six storylines all running. Um, or uh, I'm going to quote what I put in my review, which is they all run, they're all running down Bay's legs like shit from a dozen different meals that kind of exploded with such force out of his backside that the only thing true about them is that they will get to his ankles eventually, where they'll all mingle into a brown sticky mess. And that's basically what his storylines are oh, like. They should have put They're just... They should have, yeah, they can have that if they want it. Um, they'll probably just take one piece out of there where it exploded. That'll be the quote <laughs> of the features on the thing. But, um, but, you know, at least they are all running in the same direction, I guess. Um, and you also have Kelsey Grammer who's in it, and he's very good, although he's a bit underused. Stanley Tucci, 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 I don't know how you pronounce his surname. Um, who's also very good along with Wahlberg and they kind of improve everything beyond its obvious limits. And again, Bay's direction was perhaps a tad overzealous. It adds some of his trademark flair to proceedings and it's not all just spinning low angle camera shots or slow-mo background explosions. Um, but there is also a bit of kissing, uh, in front of a sunset, as you would expect. Um, with, with which helicopters I would ex- or no helicopters? There were no helicopters in that scene, I'm afraid. <laughs> but there was a car. No kissing in front of a car. Um, you know. I would accuse him of stealing that from Blue is the Warmest Colour as well. See, I saw, I saw an, oh, no... like, annoying internet meme the other day. There seems to be going around a bit. Oh, yeah. Which says, oh, when they're making Armageddon, Ben Affleck said to Michael Bay, why don't they just send up normal astronauts rather than, you know, oil thrillers or whatever. And, Michael Bay told Ben Affleck to shut the fuck up. But that's a lot, but I mean, that's a lot of <laughs> to explain the film why he needs drillers. And they don't even get them to fly the, the shuttle, they get the proper astronauts to do that. They get William Fitchner to I do mean, it. Basic, don't they? Yeah, basically, <laughs> Armageddon as a plot, I mean, scientifically it's probably not sound, but in terms of the actual reasoning for who's going into space, <laughs> it's fine. I think, I, yeah. I imagine. It has a story that sort of makes sense. I imagine sense, doesn't it? it's easier to teach drillers, people who do deep deep oil drilling like they do in Armageddon to go and sit on a space shuttle than it is for astronauts to teach them how to be expert drillers um, Maybe <laughs> I mean I think it's you're underselling what an no, astronaut but they, but no, does but they, just have, they, they got enough to worry <laughs> about they got the whole, yeah, but, they got the whole like, spacecraft yeah, they, to they were They weren't doing the astronaut in those Bruce Willis and all those people, they were just, no, they were just yes. there to do the drilling, they weren't doing the astronaut in so they were just like, yeah. you know, if I'm going on holiday, they're not teaching me how to fly the plane. 
There you I go. suppose yeah. so. Flawless logic. <laughs> Great. Flawless. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know where to carry on from that. I mean, I think yeah, that's, I think that's a, yeah. what I need to. I mean, I mean it's, it's on the... got a decent opening hour. <laughs> that's the best you can really. say. It's got a decent opening hour. Yeah. On, do you think, uh, how, how good are the um, fight scenes on a scale of one to Pacific Rim? <laughs> yeah, from on a scale of Transformers to Pacific yeah. Rim. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's definitely better than Godzilla versus Destoroyer. Can you tell um, who's meant to be who in the fights? Yeah. Yeah, but the the caveat to that is they're using... A, I mean, they always had, like, the, the Transformers were identifiable by what colour they were, um, but they use that a lot more in this. So you've got characters who are bright blue, or a character who is um, bright red, and you think, okay, so now I can tell what's happening in this particular fight scene. Um, and he, he, I think he's worked on that a little bit, and it shows. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's still not, we're not talking like Pacific Rim levels uh, where you can actually see all of the action, oh. you know. And you're not talking like Godzilla... Um, like the uh, remake, the one that came out quite recently. Uh, we're not talking that level of of action where you are given the perspective that you get from that film, um, which is more impressive than the actual fighting that goes on in that. You you just have more of the same, but it's done better. It's sort of halfway, I guess, between what it used to be and Pacific. Right. Um, so yeah, that concludes um, the new release reviews. Just before we go, one last thing. And that is our recommendation for the week ahead. Um, not a lot on telly, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm going for Five Star, um, which I believe is a freeview channel, at five past two on uh, Sunday afternoon. And it is the classic children's animated film, The Land Before Time. Yeah. <laughs> I won't be tuning in. Uh, probably because it'll make me there cry. There you go. But, um, yeah. Something, something different for, for. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, what are you recommending? Um, on Friday, uh, I think it's the first time it's being shown on TV. Friday on Film 4 at 10.55pm is The Raid, which is quite possibly one of the best modern action films you're likely to find anywhere. And Carol. I went to see the Raid Double Bill a couple of weeks ago at Prince Charles, and they, they should really name it like a wince-along event. There were Every time a bone snapped, people were making audible, uncomfortable noises. It was fantastic, <laughs> and there was a lot of bones snapping. Um, so my recommendation is on Monday, uh, and I, actually it's also on Thursday, on Movie Mix, which I'm reliably informed is on Freeview at 9 o'clock, is a film called Identity, which is, uh, I think it's probably about 10 years old now, um, but it's quite an effective kind of murder mystery. Uh, ten people are in a, a hotel and they'll get bumped off one by one. And it's got a nice little nice little story to it, nice little twist at the end. Okay. Um, cool. Bit of film trivia before we go. Leonard Nimoy is the cousin-in-law of Michael Bay. No way. Yep. I didn't know cousin-in-laws <laughs> were a thing, but apparently it is. Can he not do that thing he did in the first remake of Star Trek and just go back and like make him do something else? Mm. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, so yes, that's all it for this week's uh, this week's <laughs> podcast. Um, we'll be back next week. Not really many new releases worth reviewing next week, so uh, we might stick in a triple bill. And uh, James might be back. Um, so thank you all for listening. Thanks to everyone who has contributed. <laughs>